Hello, everybody. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies, MCU, Avengers Infinity War, Marvel Movie Number 19, We Like Movies podcast. How you doing, Matt? I'm a little bit perturbed. Could they not have just maybe squeezed in one more before? Why could we have not just made Infinity War Number 20? I, I can't tell you how many nights of sleep i've lost over the fact that they had an opportunity to make uh, the 10 year anniversary film number 20 all they had to do was just flip-flop you know ant-man or whatever how did that how did we yeah, miss out on this i mean i know you're making a joke here but i, I <laughs> no, think this I'm is sort of indicative serious. of 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 how uh you know they're not concerned with with that sort of thing right they're like they're playing the story out exactly how they wanted to play it out right matt Fair enough. Uh, supposedly we we have to get this out of the way up front. This is spo- spoiler alert from the beginning. This is, this this podcast is all spoilers. I can't imagine anyone would listen to this having not seen Infinity War. So, whatever spoilers all the way. Um, that's that's where we're going, right, S- Matt? Since we started this conversation, another a, a Marvel film has come out. Why well, could it not have come out first so that we could make this an even twenty? <laughs> I'm not gonna let yeah. this go. Of course, they always from the beginning. Kevin Feige knew. That Ant Man and the Wasp would be the, would be the twentieth movie. Yeah, right? mutual friend, uh, a friend of the podcast, Ryan Julio, uh, was delighted by the fact that something as like seemingly disposable as Ant Man and the Wasp is number twenty. That sort of thing just makes him, you know, elated. Whereas to me, it just fucking bothers, you know, bothers me to no end. The twentieth movie in a franchise is not well. There haven't been how many franchises have twenty movies? James Bond. Yeah, but it took James uh, Bond, you know, fifty years to get there, right? Um, yeah, but are there any? Are there literally any other franchises that have twenty films? I mean, one could make the argument that, like, if you added all of the various films that involve Alfred, uh, I was going to say Alfred Hitchcock, um, that involved um, Sherlock Holmes, perhaps you could make it to twenty. Perhaps all the Dracula movies, perhaps. Yeah, but no, I mean uh, we're 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 being coy. I, I don't think so. Not off the top of my head. Not anything like this. But then again, what it really is is it's actually more like four franchises that are just running simultaneously. that are just crossing over now. Because really, yeah, one could make the four. argument that like Captain America is its own franchise, Iron Man's its own franchise. Um, you know, uh, uh, Doctor Strange is like starting his own franchise. So what you really have is like all these sort of like simultaneous franchises as opposed to one major multiverse i i think i think the 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 powers that be at at marvel would disagree wholly with you and say <laughs> this is one franchise and that's the whole point of this goddamn thing i was thinking star trek probably is up to like what 15 now they had seven or eight originals and then four next generations and now three new ones. Yeah, I think it was like six originals, three next generations. that's probably like nine or ten and then yeah they're probably up to like 13 or 14 so yeah. that's not too not too shabby. Uh, not technically, shabby. Harry Potter is up to ten now, right? Now that we add Fantastic Beasts into this thing, seven, eight. The second, well, the Fantastic ninth one Beast will be, will be the number tenth, ninth, right? It'll no, be... no, no, because there there were two of the seven, so exactly. it went seven and eight. Yeah. You're exactly right. Um, yeah, I mean, this is not the point of this podcast. Of course, no, but, but it's but it's interesting. I I never really thought about that before. Like, what franchise can boast these kinds of numbers? Um, mm-hmm. And the answer is not many especially in such a short amount of time. There have been a lot of think pieces, a lot of unnecessary think pieces about Infinity War and what it means and what it means for filmmaking and uh, you know, franchise making and all this shit. But no matter what, I think, it, I think we do have to 
tip our caps at least to, to Marvel for for the audacity of this whole operation, which uh, you know, no matter what, no matter what you think of the quality of the films, whether you're on board or not on board, the fact that they've they made a insanely huge budget movie that literally requires you to have watched the 18 previous films to see, and it you know ha- has been setting records over the weekend, like. Devoid of con- like that is an impressive feat, an extremely impressive feat, right? Do you know of anybody? Have you talked to anybody in the last couple of days who saw this movie uh, virginally with you know without having seen any other films in the franchise? Because I'm sure there probably were people like that, like people who just needed to be part of the phenomenon, or people who saw maybe have only seen Black Panther, for example, right? And 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 the question is, are those people incredibly confused by what's going on? Because I don't think this movie really works out of context. It does. It, it certainly would not work out of context. I have not talked to anybody like that. I I, I just talked to a couple of coworkers who were in that boat. Were like, I don't. I'm not a Marvel person. I saw Black Panther because it was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'll see this movie eventually, but I definitely was not interested. It just goes to show that like there are enough people <laughs> in the world and in the country that if you if you hook them, you know, with with 18 movies and and they're hooked, like they're going to sign up for the 19th one like once you have people in uh they're going to be in no matter what right like that that's that's sort of the idea of the marvel franchise in general and that's that hasn't been a thing that really hollywood has tried i suppose right like james bond is is almost the opposite of that where you you literally do not need to know anything about any other james bond movie obviously you're rewarded for, for knowing some things and there are Easter eggs here or there. And maybe this new Daniel Craig franchise has, has been more of a longer story, but still they go out of their way narratively to make it, they make it approachable for anyone who's seeing it, you know, without knowing anything previous. So it's sort of a crazy experiment that has worked probably beyond their even wildest expectations. So is it just sort of, paying homage to the source material that like that's what the comic books always did they were you know by definition serialized and as a result this is just sort of like picking up that mantle or doing you know doing what you know working in that sort of storytelling confine or is this some sort of ploy that they're pulling on all of us in making people who aren't on board with all these things who aren't in on all the jokes who haven't seen all the films feel like they're you know, on the outside looking in, and as a result, they need to get caught up with this kind of thing. Like, I, I have to give Disney and Kevin Feige credit for having thought all this kind of stuff out. I've been noticing that, like, for instance, on Netflix, like they've made available through very little fanfare their latest uh, MCU movies. Always, it's like it's always the last two or three that are available for a certain amount of time. Okay. Um, so, so clearly they, they do think this way. They're like, Oh, if you want to catch up, we're, we're going to, we're going to give it to you in a very accessible way. To be honest, I, I don't know. I, I don't have an insight into the sort of viewing habits of people who want to catch up if they need to catch up or if they see, you know, I don't know how many people saw Black Panther. They're like, fuck it. I'm going to go from the beginning and see what's going on here. I bet, I bet. Quite a few. I mean, I, I I saw a lot of that on Facebook over the last two months of people being like, I fucking loved it. Which one do I need to see next? Like, what's the fewest amount that I need to see before Infinity? You know, I love Black Panther so much. Tell me what's required viewing in order to understand Infinity War so I can cram and then, you know, in the week before the film comes out. 
I saw people making those requests. Yeah, I... Or maybe they were just uh, plants. Maybe they were just Marvel plants on my Facebook feed. Maybe. <laughs> but I, I do sort of... And I feel like I've brought this up a number of times on the podcast, whether it's you know Star Wars or, or, or Marvel or whatever, where it, you know people bring up the idea, and it's mostly film critics or people writing long-form articles saying, you know, you're requiring a lot of the audience to try to you know, watch all these movies or like, is there going to be star Wars or Marvel fatigue going forward? And people are so used to having to watch every TV episode of something or whatever. And so a movie every year or two movies every year, four hours out of your year is really a very low, like it's not a big investment. You know, I think people are overrating this, like, oh, you have to watch this many movies. Like, it's really not that much, you know. Comic books have forever been once a week. you got to keep up. The fact that you have to watch two movies a year and you get to watch two fun movies a year, you're really not asking that much of the audience, right? I think that whole thing is way overblown. Yeah, it's more like three movies a year. Some and a couple times it's been four movies a year. But, okay, I, but I get your point for sure. It's negligible, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's not, not even a big deal. No, that's true. But but then again, that's you know we see multiple movies a month, whereas you know some people might see just you know a half dozen movies a year in theaters. So, but I suppose if they were going to, it would be films like this because these are films that really truly reward the um, the theatrical experience. I mean, these are the kind of things that I just don't think. Um, survive as well, you know, when you yeah. watch them on Netflix. Like revisiting things, on, these on my laptop are just not nearly as um, as expansive or, or as exciting. I mean, that's why I have gone back to some of these multiple times at the theater. I think that has a lot to do with why Black Panther was such a runaway phenomenon, was it was the kind of thing people wanted to see multiple times in the theater, which is not something you hear very often nowadays. I mean, it's hard enough to get people to see something once in the theater. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's probably a, a big... A bigger think piece, and it's probably been written uh, about you know the rise of of tel- serial television um, coinciding with the birth of the Marvel franchise, and whether that sort of weathered uh, people's viewing habits in a way where people are are more likely and more willing to sort of pay attention and be completists about things, whereas maybe in the past they, they wouldn't have been. You know, it, it, it's, it's all a conditioning thing. Like, people in the past were never conditioned to, you know, see every episode of a TV show because they it didn't require it. But now that that's, that's a thing for consuming entertainment, I wonder if uh, that sort of worked in Marvel's favor to a pretty significant degree. I, I, I think there's something to be said for conditioning. I'm, I'm working on a research project right now that's kind of about how I feel that films, especially the films of filmmakers like Christopher Nolan, have sort of conditioned us to expect certain things from our narratives nowadays. And we have sort of adapted and uh, evolved culturally in terms of like, what our like cognitive relationship is to storytelling and what filmmakers can actually leave out of their storytelling and still expect us to be able to connect the dots. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like something like Memento or Inception maybe 20 years ago might've baffled people. Whereas like you work your way through his filmography or some of his contemporaries, even somebody like M. Night Shyamalan, for example, that type of filmmaking conditions you to expect certain things, to expect certain twists, to, um, be able to connect the dots narratively in ways that uh, you know previous generations perhaps weren't, 
And maybe mm-hmm. these kinds of large multiverse franchises are kind of just the natural extension of that parsed out to, you know, a multiple film universe, like being able to connect the dots, especially because the stories that are being told aren't necessarily chronological in terms of how the movies are released, right? Like, so look yeah. at something like the the very first Captain America is, of course, a, a prequel, and this upcoming Captain Marvel movie takes place in the 90s, for example. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, God only knows what's going on in fucking Asgard or what their, you know... <laughs> what their mm-hmm. conception of temporality even is. And yet yeah. we st- we can kind of still follow all of it because this is the kind of these are the kinds of stories that are being told now on this scale. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, there was a and this is a tad bit off topic, but um today there was a you know some news stories about uh Martin Scorsese talking shit about Rotten Tomatoes and how it's <laughs> changed the way people go to see films. And it sort of it made me a bit sad because he's he's right in a very specific way in which you know we're very guilty of this too like we we use critical consensus to gauge whether we are going to value or see a film even right like there, there are some films that we wouldn't even give a second thought to um, because it's it's been panned or, or, or whatever and the idea of going to a movie not knowing exactly what everyone thinks of it all the time, or or at least not reading nuanced reviews, instead reading like Rotten Tomato scores, sort of takes away you know the post movie uh, just discussion and introspection and and thinking about what you just saw and making your own judgments. I, I feel like the judgments have been made, and we're going in with with maybe different and sort of solidified, calcified expectations in a way that people certainly didn't used to go into those things with. Yeah, that's a good point, especially because some of the most provocative movies are the ones that like fall right in that, you know, 55 to 59 percent bracket, right? Exactly. Because all Rotten Tomatoes means is that like X amount have said that it is above the Mendoza line for being quote unquote good. So that's why some of the most interesting films are there in that more amorphous kind of controversial area where you have uh, critics who are struggling or like, you know, on the verge or can't quite decide if they like it or not, or still wrestling with it a little bit as opposed to just like, yeah, it's a good, I mean, that's, that's what Marvel does is Marvel is Marvel just hits base hits. Like they just make B true B movies right up the middle. Right. Yeah. They're, they're hitting singles all the time and yep. their own, their ambitions are, are sort of, yeah, they're not trying to make, masterpieces that are going to divide everyone they want to make they're building consensus and doing things that are going to please uh the greater good and not yeah it's interesting like we we've been um we've been doing this afi project right going through all the movies and 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 during research for these movies especially like the bottom half of this this top 100 it's pretty amazing the number of movies where you read the initial reception of being sort of what you would assume to be like the 55, 60% range of Rotten Tomatoes. Like there's so many like initially mixed reviews on movies that we now consider classics. Yeah. And I, I just wonder if, if, if we're going to lose a lot of, uh, you know, potentially great classic movies just because of the volume of things that are coming out and the fact that we toss aside things so quickly these days as opposed to letting them sort of simmer and marinate for a long time. Your point is well taken in terms of making sure that we don't necessarily make Rotten Tomatoes uh, the end-all be-all, you know, that they, 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 don't, they don't necessarily vet 
everything we watch. I mean, it's interesting to see which way the wind is blowing and it's interesting to sort of like gauge and then to eventually compare your reaction to the Rotten Tomato score. But I do agree with Scorsese that there is something dangerous about sort of quantifying all this stuff this way. Yes. But in terms of this discussion, the, the Rotten Tomatoes thing... <laughs> Let's get back on track. Well, man. well, just it, it, the reason I brought it up in the first place was because I think it the Rotten Tomatoes phenomenon plays to the to Marvel strengths. Because like I said, they, these are just solid movies, like we said, base hits, that almost everybody can agree are at least good with a lowercase g, right? Yes. So that's why they're able to boast such crazy numbers because they can they can um, they can at least generate consensus, even though there's very few. You know, for every for every Black Panther, there's you know five that we are all just like, oh, it's you know it's fine. It's it's a you know seventy five percent, eighty percent, or whatever. And then occasionally a Black Panther comes along and blows everybody away and gets gets this whole thing riled up again. I mean, it was interesting to read all of these um, op-eds that ranked all the Marvel films uh, over mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks. And Black Panther seemed to be the one that was just continually ranking at the top of everybody's list. What, a lot of which I think just has to do with the fact that it is such a cultural phenomenon that it is and is yeah. still so fresh in our minds recency bias is a real thing for sure. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> always has been all right man I, I guess we should get into this specific movie yeah you mentioned before the podcast before we started recording that you think we might disagree on this i'm interested to see why because i <laughs> this is an extremely interesting movie in a lot of ways and I've read a lot of think pieces about this thing over the last, you know, 72 hours. And part of me is like, I, I like how deep we're getting into it. But also, the bigger part of me is saying, man, I think we're really overthinking this. <laughs> <laughs> this, 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 whole, this whole thing that's going on. Like, this is just, this is made to, to please the crowds and that's about it. You mean we're overthinking it as a culture in terms of... How how much we're getting emotionally invested in it? Yeah, kind of, and well, and the analysis of it, right? I just not I'm not sure how much this deserves like deep deep analysis. You know, mm-hmm. part of the through line for us, you know, because we we've been doing this since basically the beginning of the Marvel franchise. Yep, we have felt in the last few podcasts that we have felt fatigue with these things because it seems the ambitions are are all pretty similar it's like they're just trying to please the masses these are all sort of b b plus movies that are that are uh you know the ambitions are 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 low and and this movie specifically has higher ambitions and they're and they're dropping a lot of uh a lot has been made of, of 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 the death toll in this movie whereas in previous movies they've been reticent to kill even minor characters right sometimes they won't even kill off the villain they won't even kill off the villain right and so everyone's making a huge deal about the people they've killed in this movie but given the nature of the ending of this movie no one's really dead like everyone everyone pretty much is coming back they'll find a way one one way or the one way or another and it's not uh i don't know i never felt like the stakes were insane in this movie compared to any of the other movies yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, we might as well start at the end and work our way towards the beginning. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, just almost as if we have our own little time stone that we can use to backtrack <laughs> through the movie. Yeah, the ending of this movie is very frustrating because it 
it, it purports to be this big game changing thing that, you know, it, it's almost like the film is saying, all right, this is what you said you wanted. Fuck all you guys. Right. Like you said you wanted a death toll. All right. Here you go. Half of them are dead. Mm-hmm. But it's so disingenuous because the movie like goes out of its way to specifically kill off mostly the ones that we know uh, have more movies waiting in the wings, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it explicitly kills off the quote unquote new ones, you know, the younger ones, your Doctor Stranges and your Spider-Man and Star Lords, like the ones who have more movies coming, the ones who haven't been around as long. And it leaves the ones that we presumed were going to die or at least thought were going to exit stage left right around now. It leaves them alive. It leaves Thor alive. It leaves Iron Man alive. It leaves Captain America alive. I think it leaves Scar- uh, Scarlet. Uh, Johansson alive right like it leaves the old ones Hulk it leaves them alive yeah so it really is kind of like a a little bit of a weird middle finger that the that this that Feige is kind of holding up to the audience saying all right you said you wanted a death toll I'll give you your death toll but I'm totally gonna do it in a backhanded kind of way yeah and it's it's disingenuous in another way because it's 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 binary right either they all come back or or none of them come back obviously there's there's Loki there's Gamora there's a uh, who who else actually actually died, died. Vision Vision I think Vision, is technically Vision dead. Vision died but like I don't know who's actually super attached to Vision come on <laughs> um, well that's another one of this film's big problems is that the emotional sort of uh, linchpin of the thing is this romance between Vision and Scarlet Witch which apparently is is quite old and quite um, sort of involved in the comics. Yeah, but we only really have a couple of movies to base this romance on, and I was never quite buying. I'm not. I'm not opposed to it, just because he's a weird like robot man or whatever. But I never felt like we spent nearly enough time with them to establish those stakes to the point where their her having to kill him or him having to sacrifice himself or whatever resonated the way that the movie kind of needs it to. And then that brings me to another big emotional um, sort of cheat that the movie does where it needs the relationship between Thanos and his adopted daughter Gamora to resonate as well in a big, big way. And we literally get the only semblance of backstory between the two of them, what, five minutes before he kills her? Like we get this really ham-fisted, really shoehorned backstory which is actually really interesting and i found myself being like oh yeah oh i I want more of that why was that not why why was that not planted three movies ago you're laying this all on me now and i just don't have time to care because there's way too much other bullshit going on the the biggest compliment i can give is also sort of a backhanded insult which is these movies are are pretty equal they represent a, a comic book type situation like the, these movies are comic booky and and like people can die and come back or like it, it's it's serial but the stakes are, are 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 somewhat low and you have to get invested the whole time to understand what's going on but you know they're never really going to kill the people you 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 care about but again the, the compliment being that they're all entertaining nonetheless like it, it's all still fun re- regardless of this we're gonna i'm gonna end up you know, picking a lot of nits here and poking a lot of holes just because it's kind of fun to get super geeky about all this stuff and, and get into the weird minutia. But I absolutely enjoyed myself, you know, like it's really an incredible epic feast for the eyes. Of course, how could it not be? 
And there's a lot of it, a lot about it that I really, really liked. And there's some moments in it that are as good as anything that's happened in these 19 films thus far. So Mm -hmm. I I definitely want to make it clear that like the film deserves to be uh, picked apart a little bit because it just made, you know, $750 million in five days. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, you know, who's the joke on? But I did still really, really enjoy it and found it to be. But the thing is, I basically responded to it the same way as I do 90% of these movies, which is just like, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. And honestly, I think, like you said earlier in this conversation, that's really the only thing they're going for. Like, that is the only goal is just to be like, yeah, that was that was worth my $16, right? Yeah. Still masterpiece. Well, the only goal is to make it worth your time and to keep it going. Yeah. Keep me keep me on keep me on the hook, which is that this absolutely does. I mean, this is this is the biggest um, cliffhanger we've had yet in this series, right? In fact, I think it's actually going to alienate some people for by being such a cliffhanger. Yeah, it's a huge cliffhanger, and you know we we had a conversation earlier where it was like, oh yeah, Infinity War number two is coming out next year, and you were like, no, they actually changed that, and so we, like I, I wasn't even sure. Uh, that there was going to be a second. Remember when we had that conversation? You're like, oh, we, we think they condensed it into this one thing. Yeah, I think I was wrong. I mean, I, I think you were right. that the, Technically, even though they've changed the name, the one that's coming out next year is obviously the second half of this story, even though I don't think it's called Infinity War Part Two. I don't even think they have a name for it yet. But it's a But it's a year. I mean, it's not coming out. It's actually over a year. It's not coming out. It's actually a year from, like, tomorrow. <laughs> It's super interesting because, you know, the uh, teaser at the end of the movie where Sam Jackson and uh, what's-her-face uh, fade away Maria Hill, mm-hmm. um, they call Captain Marvel, and, like, uh, the timing <laughs> makes sense. Captain Marvel's going to have her story. And then I just read an article today about how Captain Marvel is, like, the most powerful of any of these <laughs> people. Like, where the fuck has she been? So hopefully the movie answers answers that. Like, she's... She's basically super, like a better version of Superman almost. Right, like, right. holy shit. Is she always female? Is Captain Mar- is Captain Marvel always been female in the comic books? I don't fuck. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I, <laughs> this is my thing. I don't know anything about the comic books either. So, like, there's there's definitely a level of of people who are comic book nerds who are enjoying this as a at a at a different uh, wavelength than than we are. I mean, even our uh, you know Ryan Julio, friend of the pod, who who we we wanted to have here, you know, said he was he said he almost stood up and applauded when he realized who had the soul stone right when yeah. when when Red Skull showed showed up. And I had to do like some digging to figure out like what the fuck <laughs> happened. Like I didn't realize I forgot that he got sucked into the like a. Uh, cosmic abyss at the end of captain america first avenger because right. fuck i haven't seen that movie in seven years right? <laughs> i'm just imagining you pulling out your uh you know marvel tashin book in the middle of the theater and being like wait a second wait a second what happened to red skull again did he die um yeah that's that's the really deep deep geeky uh comic booky stuff that completely goes over my head uh, that really yeah, delights people like Ryan. And and you're right. I mean, I'm sure that this must be delightful for people who invested so much into this world before, you know, these were ever movies or, you know, back when they were Roger Corman movies or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and they're getting to see all this come to fruition. They're getting to see uh, all of us sort of plebes play catch up and speculate about, you know, in all these sorts of like uh, really inane ways. So it must be entertaining, but it also must be somewhat frustrating. You know, I'm assuming that there is some sort of Infinity War arc that has already played out in the books, and most people who have read them know what's coming already, at least as you know structurally. Yeah, more or less. And you know, I I remember talking to my brother, who is 
more of like a you know Ryan Julio type or p- people who like know the comics and have read everything and, and know what's going on. And you know, before he knew what was going to happen in this movie, he was like, "Yeah, like I saw, you know, there were behind the scenes shots from from the second part of this with like an older." Uh, Tony Stark and a younger Captain America together and like what the fuck's going on like time travel is going to have to be involved at some point and like oh fuck this is going to be crazy (laughs) and uh, it does make me more excited for um, the next movie than I think I am for seeing this movie again (laughs) whatever like just seeing how how this all works out and seeing where they're going to go but i mean that sort of speculation we can we can wait on you delivered that sentence and kevin feige uh just just got a little <laughs> richer somewhere <laughs> like exactly you said uh this does get me a little more excited for the next one and all of a sudden wherever he's you know he's sitting on a pile of money somewhere and he just perked up a little bit being like yep i got another one yeah. got him on the hook it is insane how much money this movie made, yep. considering you have that there are prerequisites for entering the theater. Really, you know, it, it is a crazy phenomenon that I, I I can't I can't fully explain. Like the the loyalty engendered from these movies, and I, I, you know I do feel like it, it it's a combination of like we said conditioning and the availability of these movies on streaming and in in all all this shit and like just fomo right like just general the idea of fomo these days people don't want to be left out and to give a little little credit where it's due to this you know big faceless corporate behemoth slow and steady wins the race aesthetic from the beginning mm-hmm. and you know a certain level of quality that's been maintained and also a respect for the audience, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we, you know, we, we talk about how these are, you know, B movies or whatever, about how, like, they're constantly just, like, keeping us on the hook for the next one or whatever. But we're all, we always leave these things satisfied, and we never feel, um, we never feel like these movies are talking down to us, right? Like, these aren't, we don't talk about these being stupid on the level that we talk about the Transformers movies or whatever the hell DC's doing. Like, we feel like, even though these are silly, these are, you know, these are silly kids' movies, but they are, they have a certain level of sophistication and respect for the audience. Yeah, no, no, we shouldn't sweep under the rug the uh, the accomplishment of making consistently pretty good movies that are big budget. <laughs> like, like I know, that, it sounds like such a backhanded compliment, but there really is something to be said for that these days. It's very, very difficult to make a pretty good movie. I could say that from experience. No, no, <laughs> uh, of course. Like, yeah. like that, that is their greatest accomplishment. Like, they... You know, the closest thing to a bad movie they've made is is what? Like uh, Thor The Dark World, right? Like, they, they haven't really fucked up one movie. And to go sort of 19 for 19 and making pretty good movies on insanely huge budgets, uh, juggling all these sort of different uh, you know, story threads, like, that is an incredible accomplishment that doesn't mean we can't uh, talk shit about certain aspects. <laughs> well, my, I mean, my biggest takeaway has always been I feel that the worst films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe are underrated, and I feel that the best films are overrated. Like, I feel like your Guardians of the Galaxies or your Black Panthers or your first Avengers, I don't think any of those movies are masterpieces, even though a lot of people think they are the best. You know, th- those are some of the best examples of the genre. Whereas I don't think that Thor The Dark World or Iron Man 2 or The Incredible Hulk, I don't think those are nearly as big of a train wreck as a lot of people consider them. So yeah. I, I, I think that those, from both ends of the spectrum, that they actually deserve to both be brought a little closer to the middle, <laughs> which is where I think most of these exist, right? 
Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but right. I'll, I'll give another compliment to the series, and this, I guess you got to give the credit to Feige, but also to the great directors that they've chosen over the years. What an incredible ability to cast people who have grown with the series, grown into these roles, and also grown as actors, right? Like, mm-hmm. To, yeah. to, to take a little bit of a flyer on Chris Evans, who was, he was what? He was 0 for 2 with the flaming... <laughs> the, the flaming the, man. The, the flaming man. The human... <laughs> pardon me. The human torch. He'd played... He played another superhero, hadn't he? Isn't, isn't Captain America his third superhero? Maybe I'm thinking of Ryan Reynolds. I think you're thinking of Ryan Reynolds. Okay. Uh, he was the flaming man, and he was the not another teen movie guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he, 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 you know, he wasn't a movie star, but not only is he incredible in this role, but he's matured into a pretty incredible actor. Not that he didn't always have it in him the entire time. He clearly did. But he has just become such an incredible and unexpected elder statesman in this role. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. The, the casting has been uh, absolutely phenomenal from the, ab- from, from the beginning. And, 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 and worth there- coming into his own as a comedian. There have been there have been no I mean has there been any casting decision that we can look back and say oh that was the wrong thing to do, uh, Ter- Terrence Howard maybe that's it yeah Terrence Howard you could say Edward Norton but I think that's a that's an anomalous Edward Norton thing, thing. Yeah. yeah that happened right at the beginning well C- Chris Pratt seeing that potential there to, <laughs> yeah I mean, come on you, you want to rank the Chris's Who, who's your favorite Chris between Hemsworth Pratt and Evans who rank them in terms of uh, acting abilities. Uh, I'll take Pine number one. Yep, I agree. Uh, <laughs> that was a trick question, and you got it. You, you passed. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll go. I'll go. Pine, Evans, Hemsworth, Pratt. That's my ranking. You know, degree of difficulty. Favorite favorite buzz phrase for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Hemsworth is probably the most if, impressive, right? Given his role and what he's done with it. Okay. Captain America, I think, is a little easier. Yeah, it's just all different. Like Chris Pratt, I that's a character no one was terribly familiar with, and he made it his own, certainly. And yeah. I can't really imagine too many other people doing it. But it is it probably lacks the depth of the other two's work, right? I think the Jurassic World thing, and also like some of his off-screen antics, if you will, have sort of lowered Pratt in esteem for me. I know I'm I'm a big proponent of not like letting uh, an actor or a filmmaker's persona or other exploits temper their work in any particular film. So I should probably follow my own rules there. But I do think I like I do feel like Jurassic World knocked him down a couple pegs for me where I was flying pretty high on the Pratt train before that. And I, I don't know, in this movie, we're jumping all over the place here. But did you notice that he gets the and credit in the uh, in the end credits? <laughs> he gets I, I, and I did, Chris Pratt, which is saying a lot considering how deep this roster is, right? I did notice that, and uh, that is something I wanted to bring up, which is it's it's kind of crazy how much this is a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Um, yeah, I assumed that this would it would be a glorified cameo for those guys, and this I think they get more screen time than any other sort of group of characters in this movie, and they're journey is a lot more intricate and uh you know complex than say the the earthbound people like when you look at what captain america is doing it's it's extremely simple narrative they go to wakanda and then they're there and they fight like that's it uh chris evans scarlett johansson sebastian shaw don Cheadle, anthony mackie i guess to a lesser extent really don't have a hell of a lot to do in this movie they honestly feel like the 
the sort of glorified cameos. I mean, they probably yeah. don't have, you know, a dozen lines a piece in this thing. So, which I, I get, I mean, uh, you know, easy, easy for me to be an armchair quarterback about this. Obviously the Russo brothers and Marcus and McFeely, God bless them, have a hell of a hell of a lot to juggle here. But yeah, I was taken aback by the, the, the fact that this is a really a Thor meets the Guardians of the Galaxy movie more than anything else. And really, I'd, I'd say more than half of the film takes place in space, right? Or at least not on Earth. Yeah, yeah, at least in space. And, you know, the space stuff, it is more compelling and fun than the Earthbound stuff because the Earthbound stuff seems a little, uh, you know, less than important than, than everything else that's going on. Yeah, I, I'd be interested. I mean, I liked Black Panther, but I didn't, you know, I didn't think it was a masterpiece the way a lot of people did. I'd be interested in talking to people who loved Black Panther to see if they were sort of taken aback and or let down by how this movie really thinks of Wakanda kind of as an afterthought. Like I really thought this movie was going to uh, capitalize on Wakanda now that everybody's sort of flying so high on it. Honestly, Black Panther doesn't really even have a lot to do here. Maybe it's because they were shooting the two movies sort of semi simultaneously and maybe they had to <laughs> squeeze them all in at the end of the shooting schedule or something. I mean, it takes pl- don't I mean the third act takes place in Wakanda technically, but they really don't have, they don't do a lot. I mean, the counterpoint is that they need Wakanda to even fight off these people. And, like, Wakanda is extremely necessary to house them and, and give them the sort of dome thing and give them the defenses necessary to, to make it a, a a fair fight, right? Yeah, fair. Um, and even the secondary Black Panther characters do get some time on screen, which is more than either, like, any of the other sort of franchises, secondary, third, you know, base characters i mean i'd like to see where you rank it but for me obviously the the uh iron man spider-man doctor strange stuff was by far the most entertaining and fun part of this movie for me yeah just very unexpected i mean obviously i'd seen in the trailers that they were going to spend time together but the manner in which they all ended up together was was unexpected that's for sure just give me give me a doctor strange tony stark movie for fuck's sake yeah, I mean, you know, much has been written and or spoken about the fact that they're basically two sides of the same coin, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they are these, you know, pretentious uh, geniuses, uh, mm-hmm. smart ass geniuses. And, you know, maybe it's just the nature by nature, the fact that Tony Stark's been doing it for longer on screen than Benedict Cumberbatch. The Cumberbatch version seems to be a little more forced, perhaps, as much as I really liked his movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not crazy about his... You know, either the character or his interpretation of the character. Part of it's maybe the American accent, but it is interesting to see them spar simply because it seems to come so much more naturally for Robert Denny Jr. Whereas you see a lot more sort of like wheels turning and work. You know, you see kind of Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch sweating to keep up, whereas for Downey, it's just like breathing. Right? Downey's so fucking good. Holy <laughs> shit! Yeah, the best. but it is, and it is fun to you know he's he's constantly been dropping an obnoxious amount of pop culture references throughout this series. It is nice <laughs> for to see Spider-Man take up that a little bit and then to have Iron Man or uh, Tony Stark kind of call him on it. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. kind of cute. I like multiple references to Kevin Bacon and Footloose, you know, when Chris Pratt shows up and then I, you know, I'm, I've really sort of come to like this little mantis, Palm Clem Clamtoff, who's the new member of that team. Yeah, uh, I think she's very funny. She has my favorite line in the whole movie, which is when Peter Parker says, "What are you guys here to do?" and she says, "Kick names, take ass." <laughs> yep. Which is just uh, that's that, that, that's my sense of humor in a nutshell. 
Um, yeah. And then, of course, uh, Bautista is fantastic. As Drax always. is Drax is the He's best. Such an MVP. Yeah, you can't you can't beat him. Again, like this is a very entertaining movie. What it means on a on a bigger scale, I don't know if I really care that much or or think it's necessary to sort of dissect what it means like again i've I've been sort of exhausted by all these think pieces <laughs> about what it means for film going and what it means for the franchise in general and where it's going to go forward and like oh isn't it insane what the fuck happened it's crazy what they did it's like it's not really crazy at all like we know what's going to happen they're all going to come back yeah it's it's this weird phenomenon where if we didn't know so much about this stuff if we didn't know the next three films, like if, if Marvel didn't make such a big deal about their whole slate and they didn't announce all this stuff and they didn't announce, you know, the next phase and what we're going to do and which film is coming 10 years from now, if they weren't so candid about these kinds of things, then maybe we would take this stuff a little more seriously because we wouldn't have evidence that they can't kill off these characters, right? Yeah. So they've kind of shot themselves in the foot in a way because... Uh, they've they've made all this information available to us, so it completely it completely like deflates any possible uh, stakes here because we're just like we just sort of shrug and we're just like I, I I can't get invested in this because I know that they can't be dead. There's literally another film on the slate. Yeah, do you think it would have been more um, impactful if they had? been killing off characters every now and then throughout the franchise like Rhodes could have been killed uh, Hawkeye could have been killed they had a great opportunity to kill Rhodes they had an easy opportunity to kill Rhodes like they, they sort of shot themselves on the foot that way because we haven't had any sort of death in the, in the franchise at all yeah they overcompensated by just you know killing off half in one fell swoop which is brazen but wouldn't it have been a little more interesting if they would have peppered in some of these characters that we think and have been speculating might have been on the chopping block in this film like if they would have just allowed tony to fade away or or you know even scarlett johan like just people who were sort of like on the bubble we were not sure about we don't know if their contract is up yet or whatever wouldn't have been interesting to sprinkle them in and give us a little bit of pause as opposed to like explicitly going for the characters that we know can't be dead yeah i don't know it just seems a little too too easy to me I uh, I agree with you. It's not a deal breaker. It's just it, I, I wanted to gasp. A lot of people gasped when I went and saw it the other day. Like a lot, of, a lot of people gasped every time another character faded into dust. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and God bless them. They you know they got super involved in it, and that's awesome. Um, but I I wanted to have that response, and I just didn't because it seemed very contrived to me. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. I mean, not contrived. Like I, I like the idea of it. I mean, I understood in the moment that like, oh, this is this is going to be, you know, retconned or, or, or taken back in some way. And I mean, that was sort of prescribed by Dr. Strange earlier in the movie where he was like, I've seen all the outcomes and there's only one that's going to work. And uh, here it is. And that's why I gave it to him. Right. Like this yeah. is it, it, it's not a surprise. I don't I don't think they meant it to be like a Black Panther's dead. Psych, yeah. we're not going to make a Black Panther that's, movie. Like, that's, that's most, obviously not what's happening, right? Yeah. See, that's the most fucked up one because, like, we're literally, like, that movie's still in the theaters. <laughs> you know, like, it's still, it passed a billion dollars, like, of of every single character who could possibly be getting a sequel at this point. Of course, he's number one on the list. So that was one where it was just like, all right, well, I, I'm out, you know, throw my hands up, like, uh, I, I'm... 
I, I can't I, I can't well, care. Spider Man, of course. I mean, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah, exactly. He's the youngest. So, all right. Well, just a couple of notes here um, in terms of the whole Guardians of the Galaxy thing. Honestly, I'd be much more interested in, in a Thor Guardians of the Galaxy crossover film than I was in uh, whatever happened in Ragnarok. Personally, sure, yeah. I'd watch. I'd watch that movie. I mean, we basically got it here in a truncated form, but I'd you know I'd, I'd watch that movie. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. I I mean I, I think what we've learned is like I would like any of the Avengers really uh, in a in a space thing. <laughs> it was funny. We were uh, girlfriend and I were rewatching. Uh, we rewatched Civil War. Before uh, going to see uh, Infinity War, the the things the the hoops they have to jump through to create an arena for fight scenes on Earth is pretty crazy, right? Like they have to, like in in Civil War, they had to be like, okay, we need to find we need to fight in this abandoned right for whatever reason, like tarmac on a, on a at an airport, and that's the only way, or you have to go to a huge field in Wakanda in a place where no one can get to. So like at this point that they need to get they need to jump through a lot of narrative hoops to get somewhere where they can actually have a legitimate fight scene without a bunch of innocent people dying, right? Yeah. And in space it's it's a lot easier to <laughs> do those things. Well yeah, I mean they want to shoot they want to shoot ninety percent of the movie on a green screen anyway, so might as well put it in space. I think they've gonna done a pretty good job of not having to they don't feel like they have to keep one-upping themselves in movies because that, that that's always a bad precedent to set to, like, you have to go bigger and better. Like, you know, it's, some of the, the criticism has been, like, we don't need the <laughs> the spaceship falling into a planet, right? Like, that's been always the uh, the third-act uh, criticism for, for this franchise. Yeah, so it was... moving it off Earth, I think, is, is great. And, you know, it was fun to have... Iron Man and uh, Spider Man off Earth to do this stuff, and uh, by the way, do we ever we we don't know how Tony Stark's can get back to Earth, right? No, he and Karen Gillan are just stranded, right? They're just like what what a weird pair. I I don't I think if we were doing you know if we were taking bets before this thing of like which weird pairings would end up together on weird planets, I don't think I ever would have thought to put Karen Gillan and <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. on Thanos' planet just stranded. Yeah, that's uh, although I'm glad that she's alive because I like her a lot. I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought up Civil War because I-, I couldn't get it out of my head watching Infinity War because it just reinforces for me the fact that I still believe that that is the best in the series. And I think I've sort of put my finger on exactly why that movie works so well for me in the ways that this one doesn't. And I think it just kind of, I mean, I don't disagree that they jump through a lot of crazy hoops. And that movie's certainly far from perfect. And there's a lot of sweaty. Um, narrative stuff going on there yeah but but that movie really keeps its feet on the ground so to speak in ways that this one doesn't this one to me felt very very weightless in ways that i didn't like and i didn't respond to and it is clearly the most cg heavy of all of them which i guess makes sense considering how much of it takes place in space but i never felt sort of like the impact of the punches or the weight of feet on the ground because there was so much stuff just kind of like flying around in the cg ether Whereas Mm -hmm. Civil War is just such a great sort of like dirty boots on the ground. Russo brothers really like showing their action chops. I mean, it really takes all that great stuff from Winter Soldier and just sort of like pushes it to the next logical step. Yeah. And like all the shit where Bucky and um, and 
Captain America and uh, Black Panther like running through the streets of Germany and just like you know punching cars and stuff or like yeah. you know gr- pulling guys off of motorcycles. That, that, I love all that stuff. I like I like the physical, the tactile stuff. I like that stunt yeah. work. You know, I like that you know raid. You know those like Indonesian raid movies, like that kind of choreography. That's the stuff that really works for me. All the sort of plastic CG, weightless, you know, galactic stuff just doesn't really resonate for me as much. I'm just not as interested in it. It's just a perfect personal preference thing. No, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like the the tangible aspect of any sort of action scene, and to be honest, the the action scenes in the Marvel franchise have never been its strong suit, and it's never been something that's attracted me to it. I think it's sort of cute and fun and in a good time. Often, like the you know, like I said, the the airport fight scene in Civil War is is definitely a good time. I'm with you. You can't help but be a little detached from this, you know, this this Spider Man, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, Chris Pratt, Star Lord fight scene on uh titan or wherever it is with thanos because it, it is like it's it's like a video game cutscene or whatever yeah right? yeah it's a little too flubbery for me and, and honestly like a lot of people point to that airport scene as being you know the best scene in that movie and maybe the best you know superhero fight scene ever or whatever honestly i would take that aforementioned chase in, in germany or the opening fight scene where they're like in that marketplace in africa you know, sure. like where they're running yeah, around yeah. like that, where Scarlett Johansson is, you know, running up people's chests and, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, choking dudes out with their thighs. Like that's that to me is a lot more interesting. I mean, I think that's why I like Civil War and, and um, Winter Soldier the best. Those are my two favorite in the Marvel in the MCU, because I just I don't know, I just dig that kind of action filmmaking more. Yeah, I mean, that's why that kind of action filmmaking is the best kind of action. film. I mean, that's why we all love John Wick, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's because you can you can feel it. Yeah, yeah, it hits you right in the chest. And and honestly, like I think another reason that I liked that one so much, and why I actually um, liked Ult- Age of Ultron a lot more than a lot of, than a lot of people did, because some people, you know, a lot of people seem to point to that as being one of the worst ones. And I disagree. I, I think, think it's, it's better than the first Avengers. I agree as well. Yeah, we've had this conversation before. We're in the minority, but part of the reason that I respond so much to that one is completely contingent on that incredible uh, party scene at the beginning which is a pretty long sequence, all things considered, but it gives me my favorite part of these kinds of films. And the thing that that I really feel sets them apart and makes them kind of magical, and the thing that Joss Whedon really understood from the beginning, which is that if you're going to have these people meet up in these weird situations, then let these um, personalities clash and mesh and collide and, you know, make let them crack jokes, let them make fun of each other, let them try and pick each other's hammers up. I mean, that's fun stuff. That's fun sort of like fan fiction um, in practice, right? I yeah. thought I thought Civil I thought Ultron did that really well, and I thought Civil War did it really well. You know, like where the Falcon and um, I'm getting super geeky now, but like where the Falcon and the Winter Soldier are sitting in the back of the car, and they're sort of eavesdropping on when Captain America finally gets to kiss Emily Van Camp, mm-hmm. and, and he looks over, and they both yeah. give him the nod. I mean, it's just it's just cute. It's just like oh, okay, good. Like this is these people are actually like hanging out together, having human interactions as opposed to punching each other on a planet somewhere. <laughs> um, I just can't. I just can't get as invested in that. I mean, maybe call me old fashioned. I'm just a. I'm a character guy, I guess. So, and I think that this movie really suffered from the fact that it didn't have time to allow any of those fun interactions to happen because it had so much business it needed to take care of. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, that's a blessing and a curse, right? Like this movie does feel. 
it's pretty propulsive and, and, and fast paced for a two and a half hour movie because they're you you really can't spend too much time with any one group of characters. You have to keep going. Um, and I thought that was that was pretty good. It does slow down with some of the Thanos stuff, and we should probably talk about that just a little bit. I thought they probably did as good as they could with with Thanos, and that's a good for someone who wants to murder half the universe. They did a pretty good job of making him his motivations understandable and not, not sort of empathetic, but uh, at least something that we could latch onto, right? I thought he was great. I I really I I totally bought it, and a lot of it stems from Brolin selling it. Mm-hmm. So we got to give credit to his voice work, but also to Marcus and McFeely for writing a pretty strong villain, which is obviously something Marvel has struggled with. So now we've had two really good villains in a row. Let's keep this let's keep this streak going. Ironically, they kill off maybe the best villain in the series in the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah, it was time. Though. It was time, it was yeah. Time. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's overstayed his welcome for sure, as much as I love Hiddleston. But what I meant was I think Thanos is the de facto protagonist, really, of this movie. He's he's equally ant- protagonist and antagonist at the same time, and the movie is clearly, like, the most concerned with him. And that's a pretty ballsy thing to do, to put, you know, to put a guy that we haven't really spent that much time with in previous films. All he's ever done is just tease little things about himself in you know uh, uh after credit stingers or whatever and now they basically put him on front street and his motivations are like it really is great you know it it, it makes sense yeah. and uh i'm not honestly maybe this makes me some sort of you know anarchist or whatever but i'm not totally opposed to his plan to be perfectly honest like, no i mean honestly like, makes sense in the long term, you know, a thousand years from now on Earth, like that would be the best thing to possibly happen to us, right? Yeah. I got a 50-50 chance of, of surviving this and maybe having a, a better life after. I might roll those dice. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think I would, but it's way better than anything like the DC Universe is doing. It's way better than uh, pretty much all of the antagonists we've had in the Marvel Universe, say for, what, Loki and... Michael Keaton, I guess, maybe. Kill Mike, uh, Michael B. Jordan. He's probably the best, right? Yeah, Michael B. Jordan's good, too. Yeah, he's, he's, he's really good. So, 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 that's we're, we're on, we're on a good Mar- streak. Marvel Universe has, has sort of understood like uh, what they have to do with their with their antagonists now. So Yeah, anything else, Matt? What do you got? Not really. I, I think we pretty much got through all my notes. Uh, I, have, I have a quote here from, uh, from Bruce Banner. Wait, there's an Ant-Man and a Spider-Man? <laughs> that was kind of cute and that, that brings cute. us to the two who are missing here right ant-man and hawkeye they're the, the only two who didn't show up for this fight the hawkeye thing i think makes sense he wouldn't have had a lot to do or i guess he could have been on the ground in wakanda i assume they have plans for him but who, who the fuck knows yeah and i think we'll learn more about where ant-man went in uh his movie that comes out in two months and the the word on the street is that it's taking place simultaneously with this right I think it starts before and then segues into it. Overlaps or whatever. Okay. Well, I mean, I can't say I'm nearly as excited for that as I was for this coming out of Black Panther. But, you know, the first one surprised me. You know, and like we said at the beginning of this conversation, like, Feige has conditioned us to be completists about this stuff. So, obviously, I'll show up. Yeah. Yeah, we got Michelle Pfeiffer involved this time around. Lawrence Fishburne's in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm... cautiously intrigued although much more intrigued about something like captain marvel because i just know so little about that character or about how they're going to tie that in or how they're going to justify the fact that she hasn't been around for all this despite the fact that she technically predates all this right they're gonna have to do a lot of work with uh (laughs) giving us a good reason why she was uh 
not around for this whole thing, right? Yeah, there's some sort of alternate universe or time stone thing going on. I assume that's the whole point of this prequel is that to show us why she was in hibernation for 30 years. Which is fine, because it does take place in the 90s, right? That's what that's what we've been told, yeah. That's the word on the street. All right, well, Brie Larson is going to show up and save the day. Maybe she'll do the, the Superman, uh, was Superman 2 thing? Where she uh, flies around the earth and... Uh, that was Superman 1, sir. That, that happened oh, in the shoot. very I'm first sorry. Superman. I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, God damn it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I at this point, they've basically put themselves in the best possible position, as, which is to say, like, they could pretty much do whatever they want. Time travel, alternative universes, quantum zones. I mean, comic books were set up to be able to retcon themselves into oblivion to their heart's content so yeah and i i think we, we talked about this earlier but i think we we are going to have a podcast coming up at some point just speculate like a speculation pod about what where they're going to go what that's going to mean you know they kevin Feige or whoever just came out and said they have plans through 2025 i am intrigued and i think that's a worthwhile sort of thought experiment i'll be there count me in all right well until next time this has been we like movies say goodbye man Excelsior. Excelsior.